Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. And today's episode dives deep into the dark underbelly of the internet and the depravity it can spit out. It's 2019, and we all have a friend or two that we've met online, but you'll learn today that you never really know anyone. Small talk makes people fall asleep, so let's dive in. Bianca Devins was a cute little, sometimes pink-haired 17-year-old girl who had collected herself a bit of a following on Instagram. By July of this year, her account Ecstasy had over 35,000 followers. She had a few thousand more followers on her second account at BGTFO. Bianca was a recent high school graduate and had plans to start studying psychology at a community college in Utica where she lived this September. Utica's in New York. But all that aside, Bianca was an incredible artist specializing in anime. I took a look at a bunch of her work, and it was phenomenal and super emotional, which is kind of the theme of anime artwork. She was unique in the fact that she had a tendency to use her art to express her feelings in a way that I hadn't seen before looking into this case. For example, she would post a piece of her artwork with the caption Vent, and that was genuinely her way of venting in a visual format via her own artwork. Bianca spent a lot of her time frequenting sites like Discord and 4chan under the names Oxy and Xanax and collecting followers on Instagram. Her content could be really lighthearted at times, but could also be painstakingly painful and dark at others. But this is where she seemed to feel the most accepted. Having such an online presence in such unique e-communities, it's no surprise that she met a boy. Enter Brandon Clark. He was a bit of an emo kid himself, though he wasn't a kid at all. He was 21. He had a small Instagram following of his own, maybe a fourth of the size of hers, where he would post about anime and the gym. Brandon also frequented the same websites that Bianca did, forming friendships and sometimes relationships with strangers from across the world. Brandon wanted Mercily to be Bianca's one and only, but he showed it in the most unhealthy ways. When she didn't immediately take him up on his advances to meet in person, he told her that she just leads guys on online because any man in real life would see how fucked she is. That those men would just meet her, fuck her, and leave her, but he wouldn't because he cares about her. Really sounds like it. For any of you out there who aren't on the up and up when it comes to gaslighting, this is exactly what it is. You're worthless and no one will ever be dumb enough to love you, well, except for me. Please hear and understand how stupid that is, and if you're with a man who says things like this to you, change your number and your locks. Unfortunately, whatever they decided they had was taken to real life in May of 2019 when they eventually met one another's families, and for all intents and purposes, Bianca's family seemed to really like him, though they didn't seem to know him all that well at all. Abusive men have an uncanny ability to wear many faces, and he put on just the one her family needed to see to accept him. And it worked. Bianca's sister referred to Brandon as a trusted family friend. Maybe, just maybe, if her family liked him, Bianca would follow suit. On Saturday, July 13th, Brandon drove four hours from Bridgeport, where he lived, to pick up Bianca in Utica, where she lived, and then drive her to Queens to see Nicole Dollenganger, I hope I pronounced that right, in concert. Brandon seemingly serving as her chauffeur, assuming that one day she would see all that he was doing for her and in return fall in love with him. The concert doors open at 7 p.m., so they had to leave Bianca's house by 3 p.m., which means Brandon had to leave his house by 11 a.m. And if you factor in northern traffic, he probably left at around 9 or 10 a.m. to get Bianca to the concert that she wanted to go to. 
This isn't a drive just anyone is going to make. I think Brandon had expectations for going this far out of his way to accommodate Bianca, but to her, he was just a friend and this was just a ride. During the event, it said that Bianca went off on her own to hang out with a group of people at the concert, Brandon keeping a close eye on her, what she was doing, and who she was talking to. And he starts seeing red when he catches Bianca flirting with another guy at the concert. It's been reported that she was holding hands and kissing another guy that she had also met online and had invited him to meet up with her there. Brandon boils inside, posting a screenshot from the movie Fight Club to his Instagram, writing, Here comes hell, it's redemption, right? The quote is from a song called Black Cadillac by Hollywood Undead. Some of the other lyrics are, Now you're just a story on the cemetery track, and you're sitting on the internet like, is this shit true? The concert ends around 10pm and Bianca and Brandon meet back up, get into his black SUV, and make the four-hour drive back to Utica to take Bianca home. But at some point during this lengthy drive, Brandon snaps. Every ounce of logical sanity in him explodes, and he does something so heinous no one could have ever seen it coming, and it's something that can never be taken back. In the wee hours of the morning on Sunday, July 14th, sometime around 6.30 a.m. as they got home from the concert, Brandon Clark attacked Bianca as he was sitting in her car, slitting her throat and slowly watching her bleed out, her eyes closing ever so slightly until frozen in place as life slipped away from her. The drive back from the concert should have taken about four hours, putting them back home at around 2 a.m. 3 a.m. if traffic was a bitch. So what happened in that car between 2 a.m. and 6.30 a.m.? But let's forget the timeline for a second because this case is about to get worse than you ever imagined. Once Brandon knew that Bianca was dead, he took an uncensored photo of her lifeless body, which was still inside of his SUV. She's wearing a black tank top and has blood coming from the slash in her neck. There are splotches of blood down her chest and arm that look like they could have come from a struggle or maybe from him moving her body. Her eyes were still halfway open as if she watched Brandon sit back and let her die, too weak from blood loss to fight back or do anything to escape him. She knew what was happening, she felt every second of it, and there was nothing she could do to stop it. Brandon then removed her body from his vehicle and placed it under a green tarp. He posted a photo of it with his bloody hand held out toward it, almost to say, Look what I did. He included the caption, I'm sorry, Bianca. Her shoes and purse were laid neatly over the left side of the tarp, hugging the outline of her body, and he spray-painted, May You Never Forget Me, on the asphalt beside her. He didn't just post these photos for his friends, he posted them on Instagram, 4chan, and Discord. He was trying to make a name for himself from the brutality he had just inflicted on his teenage love interest. At this point, no one even knew about the kiss. He wasn't advertising this as a vindication or retaliation. He was posting this for attention from strangers as some sort of sick romantic tragedy that Bianca didn't know she had been cast in, which only seems fitting with a username like Yes Juliet. You guys know how I feel about posting photos of crime scenes, so I'll share the non-graphic and non-invasive photos. I feel like death is such a vulnerable time, and I don't feel right sharing that with others without the victim's permission. Shock value isn't worth my soul. 
Brandon eventually calls 911 and let them know that he had just killed his girlfriend and that he now wanted to kill himself. But Bianca wasn't his girlfriend. He wanted Bianca more than he wanted blood running through his veins, but she didn't feel the same way. But because he killed her, Brandon now feels like he can write the narrative and he begins it with his version of events, which means Bianca is playing the role of his girlfriend, which couldn't be further from the truth. When Brandon called 911 to confess what he had done, he didn't give them any identifying information as to where the pair could be found. However, it's 2019 and you can run, but it's going to be really hard to hide when you have two perfectly good working cell phones turned on. Police locate Brandon using GPS technology and find him at the back of a dead-end road in Utica, where he's laying beside his black SUV. As soon as anyone is around to give him any attention, Brandon whips out a knife, and while police have him at gunpoint, he stabs himself in the neck. It's then that not-dead Brandon walks over to the green tarp that Bianca is laying under and lays across it, takes out his phone, pulls up his Instagram, double taps on the screen to make sure it's in selfie mode, and takes a photo where he adds the caption, Ashes to Ashes. He also takes this time to alter his bio to reflect July of 2019 as his death date and to let everyone know that he's not in pain anymore. He also changes his username to 616deadman. Of course, he had to rep his area code when making his Shakespearean dying declaration of disgruntled love towards the love interest he had just murdered. They finally get him disarmed from both the phone and the knife and get him into an ambulance where he's taken into emergency surgery for his self-inflicted wounds. And as soon as they get Brandon off of the tarp, police notice something stomach-churning. Brown hair peeking out from beneath the green tarp that was now dripping with Brandon's blood. Brandon had thrown himself over Bianca's covered dead body as if he was the Romeo to her Juliet. A candlelight vigil is held in her memory just a single day later. And one day after killing Bianca and sharing it across all the depraved avenues of the internet, Brandon's charge was second-degree murder, and on July 18th, he's well enough to be taken to his new home, the Oneida County Jail. His booking photo looks like something you'd find under a bridge. I'll post it under Bianca's highlight on my Instagram at the Heather Ashley. Her funeral is held the next day at the Church of Our Lady of Lords, where they remember all of the positive aspects of her life, talents, and her interests. But can we talk about the second-degree murder charge for a second? Generally, second-degree murder means that police don't believe that any of the murder was premeditated, that Brandon hadn't planned this all along, that without any forethought, he had a knife on him, reached across his SUV, slashed Bianca's neck, watched her bleed to death, took a close-up and unedited photo of Bianca with a gaping wound across her neck, blood pouring out and her eyes still halfway open, almost looking straight at the camera, then apologizing for killing her on three different websites, Instagram, 4chan, and Discord. Websites that he and Bianca were both deep into and well-known on. And when that didn't generate enough attention, he removed her purse and shoes, put a tarp over her, and neatly placed them around the outline of her body, and then posted that image to the same three websites. And when even that wasn't enough, when people weren't making the spectacle he had imagined, he called 911 himself and told them exactly what he had done. As police arrived, Brandon half-assed stabbed himself in his own neck, snapped a few pictures as he threw himself over Bianca's covered body, being sure to edit his bio and change his Instagram handle as well. This was less about Bianca and more about Brandon becoming a household name in the dark underbelly of the internet. 
When Bianca didn't accept his advances to being in a relationship, she became nothing but a means to an end for him. The more people who cared that she was dead and knew that he had killed her, the more successful he would become. But this is New York, and according to Brinkwire, first-degree murder in New York requires a second-degree murder, intent and success of killing an individual, and at least one of their 14 aggravating factors, and I suppose Bianca's murder didn't include any of those 14 factors. On one website, Discord, Brandon uploaded a photo of a slain Bianca with a caption beneath. He asked people to follow the account PewDiePie, and then followed it up by saying that he fucked Bianca and that the photos of her almost decapitated body were taken in his car. He then mentions something about a guy named Alex with a quote-unquote Chinese username and says, hope it was worth it, she was going to go home today. It sounds like the guy Bianca was allegedly flirting with may have also been a member of Discord, and Brandon was hoping he would see the photos and feel responsible for what he had done. He shortly realized he had left out important identifying information needed to get the attention he was seeking, so he quickly added, Her full name is Bianca Michelle Devins, of Utica, New York, by the way. Then he mentions that there should be a few articles about the murder within the next couple of days. I did some searching to see what these Discord and 4chan websites even were. I didn't know if I was just too old to know or if they were some kind of deep online shithole that I was happy to be ignorant of, and it seems like option B hit the nail on the head. Someone described 4chan as all of the worst things about the internet funneled into a platform where you're accepted by the only people in the world that share your heinous interests and unbecoming personality traits. That you can find open racism, revenge porn, rape culture, and fetishisms of things never meant to be fetishized. The website allegedly allows total anonymity and is completely void of consequence. In fact, in this cesspool of a community, more than a handful of people took to aggressively attacking Bianca, the slain teen in these photos, as if she was subhuman, as if she deserved it, saying things like, her death pleases me. And another said that based on screenshots, she was a horrible person and reaped what she sowed. Australia and New Zealand have both banned the 4chan and 8chan websites as a whole. And no, I have no fucking clue how many chans are out there, but the possibilities concern my soul. I genuinely feel like the internet needs to be closely monitored for people like this. Add them to some kind of list. They're unhealthy, they're unstable, and they're a ticking time bomb full of blind rage, hate, entitlement, and disgust. But then again, it begs the question, who would monitor all 27 million individual users that visit the controversial site each month? Instagram initially didn't even remove the photos that Brandon had uploaded. I expected nothing from 4chan and Discord, but Instagram seems to have some form of a soul. But the day Bianca was murdered, they dropped the ball. They simply put a sensitive content filter over the top of the gruesome photos that you could bypass by just tapping. It wasn't until BuzzFeed contacted Instagram asking why they hadn't removed it that they finally did what they should have done as soon as it garnered any attention. But by then it was too late. Screenshots were everywhere and people were commenting incessantly on Brandon and Bianca's remaining photos, claiming to have uploaded the photos to their stories so that people would have to follow them to catch a glimpse. Others promised to reveal the photos as soon as they reached a certain amount of followers. I wish I was making this up. I'll include screenshots of this bullshit to Bianca's highlight at the top of my Instagram at the Heather Ashley. We 
We now live in a world where teenagers will use crime scene photos of a brutally murdered teenage girl to gain followers. Bianca's family was eventually given a direct line of contact to someone at Instagram who would have any photos of Bianca's dead body removed immediately once posted, along with anyone who continued to message them photos of Bianca's murder. Some messages to her family included phrases like, look at her now, according to Syracuse.com. It's said that another sick sack of shit sent Bianca's mom a message about how she was a whore and deserved what happened, and included a video of himself masturbating to the photo of Bianca's nearly decapitated body. But even that wouldn't help at this point. The photos had been picked up by a site called Kiwi Farms, which nymag.com describes as the web's biggest community of stalkers. They were also posted to deathaddict.co, which makes my skin crawl knowing it even exists. It's self-described as the world's leading censorship-free gore site. When I googled it, some of the posts that popped up were titled, Man is flayed, tortured, and has his throat slit, and here's a guy without a face. I'm going to go ahead and burn my computers and homeschool my kids now. Continuing on. Trying to understand the backstory of Bianca and Brandon and who they were before the murder, I dug as far as I could and stumbled across an older Instagram account of Bianca's from 2018 where she went by OxyContin, and it is dark. Darker than the emo posts that would occasionally grace her newer, more popular accounts. 2018 Bianca is a totally different vibe than 2019 Bianca. No pink hair or bright colors. It's literally and figuratively dark. She alludes to stressing over calories, the police repeatedly responding to her house, being in therapy, going into placement, calling herself a problem child. She photographs a trip to the hospital via an ambulance, a sink dressed in dripping blood alluding to self-mutilation, a busted lip, photos of her bruises, and she talks about suicide a lot. She does a lot of these My Day videos, which are small clips compiled together, and on Memorial Day, she tapes herself burning a flag saying that she hates the government and the military. It looks like some of the online vermin she had met and mingled with on 4chan and Discord had followed her to her Instagram. One calls her a degenerate, and another comment on a photo from inside of an ambulance she's riding in, someone asks why her boyfriend is so brown. Someone also tells her that her art style is dope, but that she'll probably just spend any revenue from it on drugs. Clearly, very uplifting and encouraging communities have come to surround her. The last sentence was a lie. But that's kind of the vibe of all of the sites she and Brandon frequented. Dark and disturbed, seeking attention from shock value and taking pride in the offensive. Days pass without any news, just fans mourning their favorite online personality and internet gargoyles doing what they do best, trolling in their mom's basement with a hammock of beanie babies behind them. But then, Syracuse.com posts an article that blew my mind. I mean, it made so much sense that it made too much sense. It was so real that the reality was shocking. In 2010, Brandon's father was involved in a police standoff involving Brandon's mother. With police and SWAT surrounding Brandon's house, his father held a knife to his wife's throat and threatened to kill her and himself. He had accused her of cheating on him. As far as I could find, she had not. While Brandon wasn't there for this dumpster fire of a situation, the most influential person in a child's life is the same-sex parent. Thank you, Dr. Phil. Brandon grew up in an environment where this is what love looked like to him. His father was his baseline of normal, and he perpetuated what he grew up thinking was normal. Brandon literally continued the exact same cycle of abuse that his father inflicted on his mother. This is a little PSA side note, but I feel like it needs to be said. 
Think about this the next time your husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, calls you names in front of your kids, belittles you, gets rough, threatens you, etc. Don't be with a man you wouldn't want your daughter to marry or your son to become because they're learning what love looks like by watching you. On July 29th, 2019, Brandon has his first day in court where Long Crime reports that the gallery was filled with people wearing Justice for Bianca pins. Brandon's appearance is a little shocking because he shows up to court wearing a bulletproof vest. Generally, this is done when law enforcement feels there's enough outrage about the crime to believe someone may attempt to take his life during the transport process between the jail and the courtroom. As if his appearance wasn't shocking enough, Brandon steps it up a notch when he brazenly decides to plead not guilty to the second-degree murder of Bianca Devins. He literally plastered the internet with his homicidal rage and boasted about it, then called 911 to tell them what he had done. Yet he pleads not guilty. I am big mad over him being big stupid. At the very least, the good news is that this asshat is being held without bond, so he'll be playing hide the nerd in jail where he's not allowed access to the interwebs where he gets his narcissistic and sociopathic fill of negatively fueled attention. On September 23rd, WKTV reports that Brandon was back in court, but the hearing was continued because they were still waiting on Bianca's autopsy and toxicology reports to come back. I cannot fathom why it has taken them over a month and a half to get these results, but they're all due back in court in a week. On September 30th, they're back in court as scheduled, but the autopsy and toxicology reports are still not back. While they're there, WKTV reports that the judge denies a request that was submitted by his attorney to suppress six statements made by Brandon. And when in Rome, his attorney decides to file a motion to suppress Brandon's cell phone as evidence as well, citing that it was found in an area where there was an expectation of privacy. Um... Like where? In his hand? Where he was taking selfies over her dead body as police held him at gunpoint? So far, all I'm hearing is, everything my client did incriminates himself, so i like for none of it to be admissible in court if you don't mind. Isn't that a bitch? Brandon now expects privacy after his rampage of incessant posts about how and when he murdered Bianca across all major platforms of the garbage underbelly of the internet. The irony here is that Bianca was given no privacy. She was used as a means to gain attention from the cesspools of the internet for Brandon's own sick need for attention. He felt entitled to Bianca, and when Bianca didn't return his feelings, he felt like it was his right to take her away from anyone and everyone else. If he couldn't have her, no one else could either. They're scheduled back in court that Wednesday to argue the irony that is the cell phone. On October 2nd, on what would have been Bianca's 18th birthday, the judge signs five individual search warrants granting law enforcement access to Brandon's social media accounts. They're allowed to view any activity taking place between May 1st and July 14th. So basically from the time the pair met in real life up to the day Brandon killed Bianca. And that's when he knew he had fucked up. Brandon is due back in court at the end of this month. It's there that a decision will likely be made about the cell phone being admitted into evidence. However, with his social media being admissible, I can't imagine the phone won't be as well. These cases take time and the investigations just get deeper and deeper, so it's not uncommon for continuations to happen. I've said it before and I'll say it again. When it comes to the U.S., justice is anything but swift. Until his next hearing and the one or ones after that, Brandon will remain behind bars without any possibility of being bonded out. 
Bianca was young and impressionable and had a lot of internal struggles. She turned to the internet for companionship and wound up falling into a deep, dark corner of the web that entire countries had banned access to. Unfortunately, while she was there, she met the man who would one day take her life and then turn around and use her online community to boast about her homicide. We live in a sick world where the internet allows for the depraved to socialize with the other depraved and wind up creating a subculture that encourages the behavior. The internet can be amazing. Google is my spell check. Podcasts are the only reason my laundry is done. And of course, cat memes. But the internet can also be the home of the darkest and deepest underground communities of people with full access to do, speak, and demean as they please with full and total anonymity, free from any moderation or consequence. Be careful where you click. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I thoroughly apologize for ruining the internet for you. If it's any consolation, I ruined it for myself as well. I'll certainly update you guys with any movement in this case, duh, of course. I'm currently digging into our next case, which will be brought to you in exactly one week from today. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get notified when new episodes are posted. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you're feeling froggy, drop us a rating or even a review. We love to read them. Until next week, we out.